We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. If you can call it, if you can call one benefit, if you can call it that, of being persecuted over a long period of time, since 1572 in fact, and not giving up the fight, is that it's not as easy to be intimidated as people who have always led a quiet life. The reason these people had been persecuted for so long was because of their religious beliefs. They were Protestant followers of John Calvin in Catholic France. Their beliefs set the framework within which they chose to live their lives. And what the Nazis wanted them to do, what their brand new government located in Vichy France wanted them to do, was what they had spent nearly 350 years refusing to do, to betray their beliefs, as if that was going to happen. A Huguenot, a Huguenot dad, in fact, and it's a Huguenot dad that I'm talking about today, Monsieur Torquet. The Vivray Plateau, located in the south of France, is not too far from both the Swiss and the Italian borders. Historian Christine van der Zanden calls it the Plateau of Hospitality. It sheltered the Huguenots who lived there in the late 1500s and early 1600s. When intolerance of the French Revolution struck in the 1790s, the French Assembly ordered that all Catholic clergy had to pledge an oath to the state, making it supreme to Holy Mother Church. Failure to comply would result in your being imprisoned. The clergy who resisted, who refused, who stuck to their beliefs, fled. They fled in great numbers. And they fled to seek shelter with the communities on the Vivre Plateau, the people who their forebears had persecuted. The plateau later took in many refugees during World War I, it took in the refugees from the Spanish Civil War in the mid-1930s. They took in socialists and communists fleeing from the Nazis from Germany and Austria in the 1930s. When the war came to France in May 1940, the French nation collapsed under the revolutionary new German tactic of blitzkrieg, lightning warfare, waged using masses of tanks unleashed against them. The victorious Germans didn't want the French fleet or the French colonies, especially in North Africa, to continue resistance, becoming allied to the unconquered Great Britain. So Hitler offered a sweetener to France to avoid that outcome. A large part of France was left under French control. A great French hero of World War I, Maréchal Pétain, was made dictator of the new France. 
Its capital was in the town of Vichy. The new French state was conveniently called Vichy France. Vichy France modelled itself on Nazi Germany. Pétain ordered all school children throughout Vichy France, which included those on the Vivarais Plateau, to begin each day standing at attention and giving the Nazi salute as the school flag was raised. The local Huguenot pastor in Le Chambon sur Lignon was a man by the name of André Tocmé. Not long after France had fallen to the Germans and the new Nazi puppet government in Vichy had been set up and issued this proclamation, Tocmé delivered a sermon. He told the congregation, Loving, forgiving and doing good to our adversaries is our duty. Yet, we must do this without giving up and without being cowardly. We shall resist whenever our adversaries demand of us obedience contrary to the orders of the gospel. We shall do so without fear, but also without pride and without hate. One of the schools affected by the new order for giving the fascist salute was the new school that had been opened just a few years earlier in Le Chambon. It was called Collège Sévenol. It had been opened by Trocmé and his co-pastor, Edouard Thies. Their schoolchildren would not be raising the Vichy flag and would not be giving the fascist salute. Vichy then demanded that all school teachers sign an oath of loyalty to the Vichy government. Trocmé, Edouard and the entire school staff refused. Pétain required his portrait to be hung in every school. Trocmé and Edouard refused. An order went out from Vichy directing that all church bells were to be rung at noon on 1 August 1941 to celebrate the first anniversary of the new Vichy government. Trocmé told Amélie, the church custodian, not to bother. Two visitors in town on 1 August went to the church and complained to Amélie that the bells should be rung. She told them, The bells belonged to God, not to Marichel Pétain. It is rung for God, otherwise it is not rung. The Vichy government, following the Nazi example, started to persecute the Jews. One day, someone knocked at the door of the Tokme home. André's wife, Magda, opened the door. A woman stood, shivering, from the cold, from fear, for her life, from terror, trembling. She said that she was a Jew, that her life was in danger. She said that she had heard that Le Chambon was a welcoming place. Magda said, Come in. It had started. More and more Jews seeking sanctuary started to arrive in Le Chambon. Tocme caught the train down to Marseille to meet with Burns Sharmas, a Quaker. The Jews were being forced into internment centres where the conditions were appalling. Those who did not die in the internment centres were usually shipped to the east to the death camps. There were many children in the internment camps. 
The Quakers could manage to get these children out, but only if there was somewhere for them to go. The trickle of Jewish children going to Le Chambon uh, turned into a flood. In 1942, the Vichy minister in charge of youth affairs paid an official visit to Le Chambon. Pétain wanted youth camps set up around Vichy France in the style of the camps for the Hitler Youth, the Hitler Jugend. If you've ever seen the wonderful movie Jojo Rabbit, that's what a Hitler Youth camp looks like. Well, sort of. Lamiron and his entourage arrived in Le Chambon. His itinerary provided for a banquet, followed by a march, a parade through the streets to the town stadium to meet with the young people of the town, and then on to a triumphal formal reception. Only it just didn't work out that way. The banquet was terrible. The food was barely edible. Tokme's daughter had a frightful accident when she spilled the soup down the back of Lamiron's uniform. Next, it was time for the parade. The streets were deserted. You could hear crickets. At the stadium, nothing had been arranged. The children just wandered around aimlessly. At the reception, the townspeople got up and did a mass reading of Romans, chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbour has fulfilled the law. Then a group of students presented Lamiron with a letter. Earlier that summer, the police had rounded up 12,000 Jews in Paris at the request of the Nazis. They were kept in horrible conditions at Vélodrome d'Ivet, to the south of Paris, before being sent east to the death camps. The children's letter read, We have learned of the frightening scenes which took place three weeks ago in Paris, where the French police, on orders of the occupying power, arrested in their homes all the Jewish families in Paris to hold them in Veldive. The fathers were torn from their families and sent to Germany. Their children torn from their mothers, who underwent the same fate as their husbands. We are afraid that the measures of deportation of the Jews will soon be applied in the southern zone. We feel obliged to tell you that there among us are a certain number of Jews, but we make no distinction between Jews and non-Jews. It is contrary to the gospel's teaching. If our comrades, whose only fault is to be born in another religion, received the order to let themselves be deported, or even examined, they would disobey the order received, and we would try to hide them as best we could. We have Jews. You're not getting them. Why didn't the Nazis come to Le Chambon and make an example of the residents. Just before the war, there were 18 pupils enrolled at the new school. 
and just four years later, there were 332. One time, the Vichy police descended on Le Chambon and set up an office there to round up the Jews. They searched the town for three weeks, and all they found were two. One of them was later released. All sorts of people helped to frustrate Vichy persecuting the Jews in Chambon. There were many sympathetic people in the Vichy police. Incredibly, even the senior Gestapo officer in the area, Major Julius Schmeling, helped protect the Jewish children in Le Chambon. Sometimes Tokmay would get a phone call in the middle of the night, tipping him off about a police raid the next day. Other times, the local police would arrive conducting a raid, uh, but first they would go to the local coffee shop for a long cup of coffee. With everyone knowing that a raid was about to take place, the Jewish children were all hidden. Surprisingly, the police always came away empty-handed. Dommage. Six months after the visit of L'Emiron, Trocmé and Edouard were arrested and imprisoned in an internment camp. Their noses were measured to make sure they weren't Jews. After a month in prison, they were told they would be released, but only on condition that they pledged to obey without question orders given to them by governmental authorities for the safety of France and for the good of the National Revolution of Marshal Pétain. Tocme and Edouard refused. The camp director couldn't believe it. The alternative was almost certainly to end up in a gas chamber. All they had to do was to sign their name on a piece of paper to save their lives. The director spoke to them. What is this? This oath has nothing in it contrary to your conscience. The Marshal wishes only the good of France. Trocmé replied, On at least one point we disagree with the Marshal. He delivers Jews to the Germans. When we get home, we shall certainly continue to be opposed, and we shall certainly continue to disobey orders from the government. How could we sign this now? Finally, the prison officials gave up and sent both men home. One more major trial awaited Trocme and his conscience. After these amazing triumphs of the people in Le Chambon, the Germans became harsher. On 11 November 1942, they occupied the Vichy territory in France after the French colonies in North Africa greeted the Allied landings there during Operation Torch. Trocme and Edouard were forced to leave Le Chambon and disappear. The Germans were not as nice as the Vichy government officials had been. Edouard joined the resistance and spent the rest of the time of German occupation secretly ferrying Jews out of France and into Switzerland. Trocme moved around France, carrying false papers. One day, travelling with his young son, he was caught in a police roundup of people at Lyon railway station. 
The fake identity papers that the resistance had given him showed his name as Begwe. He expected that he would be asked by the authorities if he was Begwe. If he was asked, he said in his autobiography that he would not be able to lie. Laying was sliding towards those compromises that God had not called upon me to make. Even for his own self-preservation, Trokme could not stand before one of the authorities and say that he was Begwe. Even though Trokme was on the run, he was still involved in hiding refugees. Centuries before, many Huguenots had given up their faith, but the people who had remained true to their beliefs, like Tokme, were built of stubbornness and defiance. God took care of his own that day at the police station. Curiously, the officer who had arrested Tokme never asked him for his papers or who he was. Tokme talked the police into giving him a lift back to the station so that he could rejoin his son. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book David and Goliath, which tells this story, says that the excessive use of force leads to defiance, not submission. You could kill André Tokme, but in all likelihood, all that would mean is that another André Tokme would have arisen in his place. When Tokme was 10 years old, his family were driving one day to their house in the country. The car in front was going too slow for André's father. You know how frustrating that can be. He pulled out and began to overtake. His mother called out to him not to go so fast that there would be an accident. The car spun out of control and crashed. His father, brothers and cousin were okay. But ten metres away was his mother's lifeless body. Confronting a Nazi officer paled in comparison to what this ten-year-old had experienced, seeing his mother's dead body near him. Malcolm Gladwell ends up his story of all of the Davids fighting the Goliaths in our world then and now by saying, It was not the privileged and the fortunate who took in Jews in France. It was the marginal and the damaged, which should remind us that there are real limits to what evil and misfortune can accomplish. If you take away a father or a mother, you cause suffering and despair. But one time in ten, out of that despair rises an indomitable force. You see the giant and the shepherd in the valley of Elah. And your eye is drawn to the man with the sword and shield and the glittering armor. But so much of what is beautiful and valuable in the world comes from the shepherd who has more strength and purpose than we ever imagine. Jean-Pierre was the eldest son of André and Magda. He was gifted and sensitive. One night, near the end of the war, his parents went to see a recital of Villon's poem, The Ballad of the Hanged Man. The next night, they came home from dinner, 
shockingly, to find their darling son hanging from a noose in the bathroom. One of our friends did that. André staggered out into the woods, uncontrollably sobbing. In his autobiography he wrote, Even today I carry a death within myself, the death of my son, and I am like a decapitated pine. Pine trees do not regenerate their tops. They stay twisted and crippled. Malcolm Gladwell commented on these words of Torme. But surely he must have paused when he wrote those words, because everything that happened in Le Chambon suggested that there was more to the story than that. And then Trochme wrote in his biography, as they grow in thickness, perhaps, and that is what I am doing. Thanks for joining me, Paul, for this incredible story in The Danger Zone. Another incredible experience awaits you if you join me for my next program.